0: Hello and welcome to the Infinite Potential podcast. I'm your host, Beth Willis. In my role as a coach, I aim to inspire people to believe that the sky is the limit. In this podcast, I will provide information on mindset, fitness and nutrition with amazing guests as we look to unlock your own infinite potential. and welcome back to the infinite potential podcast. We have another amazing guest with us today. So just to preface that, obviously we're doing this over the internet, so if anything happens, I will get them to repeat their wise words if we drop off or anything like that. Today's amazing guest is someone that I've I've known for a while. I've trained with him when we used to train at the same uh, CrossFit box and he has been on an incredible journey through December and a journey that everyone needs to hear about but there is also so much more in the background that we're going to cover today because i think he really is an inspirational man he's a father he's a business owner he lives locally to me in newmarket and today i've got ben blows with me hi ben how are you
1: hi beth yeah i'm good thanks for having me on
0: now very 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 excited to get straight into this podcast now i know you've been busy with media because a little birdie told me you ran thirty-one marathons in thirty-one days for fun through December.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, we, they ran. We walked, I walked one of them. So, so I, 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 I completed thirty-one marathons in thirty-one days. Not I, quite ran them all.
0: I like how uh, the the kind of competitive edge in you goes straight to that. That that, that one I think is gonna gonna sit there yeah. in your memory. That that one did get walked. But before we go into the physical feat and the kind of the mindset challenge of the whole thing. It's for a local charity called Tom's Trust, which I know you're now an ambassador of. Could you give us just a little bit of information for the listeners about what that charity does?
1: Yeah, so Tom's Trust was set up nine or ten years ago by Debbie and Andrew Whiteley after their nine-year-old son was diagnosed with a brain tumour and I think it was six or seven months later he died. And at the time when it happened you know obviously they was devastated but they sort of almost left the hospital and and that was that you know sort of get on with things and they didn't feel there was some aftercare in place but they didn't feel there was a great great amount of aftercare and and psychological support in place so what they did is they set up tom's trust you know in tom's memory and as his legacy sort of thing to provide psychological and and mental health support to children and and families of children who are suffering with brain tumours because you know if you think if you think how wide-ranging it is in the family you know hopefully none of us will ever experience it but if a child is is, has a brain tumour and brain cancer then that's going to affect the parents and it's going to affect the grandparents and the and the uncles and and the whole family it's very very wide-ranging so this is what Tom's Trust do they have have psychologists working with you know with all the families and the children not just whilst they're having brain cancer treatment or brain tumour treatment post-treatment as well because you know these these things affect these children for the rest of their life the ones who are lucky enough to survive it they you know affects them for the rest of their life so that and you know there's a small charity based in cambridge Edinburgh. it's a small sort of local independent charity who i made a promise to a few years ago that i would i would try and raise some money for them i didn't i didn't know how at the time
0: wow and it, it i guess is it is there a a personal connection to the Charity or is it one that you just feel strongly about as a father yourself?
1: Yeah, as a father myself, so how I actually met Debs is I ran, I was asked to run um, the charity of Fire Race as an, in the over-40s team event and i turned up and I knew a couple of the other guys then. I ran. We we ran it and we won it. We won the over-40s thing and, and then she contacted me after Debs and said, look, how do you fancy, we ran it for Tom's Trust team, she said, how do you fancy running the London Marathon for me? because I was doing it that year and I said I can't because I think I'd already promised another charity I was running for a charity I said well I, I went and met her and had a chat but I wanted to speak to her really and she told me about how she set the charity up and you know sat there and talked about Tom and yeah, as you say I'm oh, my a father myself I mean you know Tom was nine when he died my, my youngest son is eight and my oldest son is ten so it's sort of you know I can, I can certainly relate to what age that is um, and she sat and told me all about it and you know it was incredibly difficult to sit there listening to, to a parent talking about the loss of a child and i said to her there and then you know i'm going to at some point Deb, i'm going to raise some money for tom's trust So i don't know what it is and I, but when i do i'll let you know you know i've done a few other charity events since then and then every time i do one i always think in the back of my mind i wonder if Deb's just thinking well when's he gonna come good on, on my here so you know i always knew i was gonna do something for her but i didn't really know what
0: I I think it would be fair to say you've probably saved your biggest challenge to date for her then, haven't you? Um, so you yeah. certainly kind of obviously come come good on your promise. Where where did thirty-one in thirty-one spring from? I know it's not I know from previous chats it's not been about potentially just this year that it was formulated. Like how did you how did you build that challenge? Well,
1: I think I first saw it or first heard about it. On Guinness World Records, and they had a. I think they may have even emailed me or something, I can't remember, but they said there was a record there, 31 fastest 31 marathons, and that's the key word here the fastest 31 marathons in 31 days. And when I looked into it, I found a few people who'd done either 30 and 30 or 31 and 30, not many, a few, and I'd spoken to them, you know, and all of them who had done it hadn't done it for a time. What their intentions were is I'm going to complete a marathon every day. So I went into it thinking well when I when I decided I was going to do it you know my target was to run everyone under four hours that's what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. you know I looked at the Guinness looked at the Guinness record but unfortunately for to be a Guinness record it has to be an official marathon so really unless you have a private jet and a lot of money sitting around you you know there may be a marathon on every day somewhere in the world I don't know but it's almost it's virtually impossible Mm -hmm. um and I did speak to Guinness about trying to change the rules so that i could have like independent witnesses with me and everything else but they weren't budgeted. and that, that's fair enough um mm-hmm. so I, I decided at that point i'm going to do it anyway but what i wanted to do is you know the big thing for me was i really wanted to try and get everyone under four hours that was my intentions
0: so just for perspective for for people that perhaps have never run a marathon um when we're talking marathons in under four hours what kind of like minute mile pace are you holding for them
1: so nine, if you can, if you can run nine minute miles, you'll get under four hours.
0: And so
1: not fairly, 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 fairly fast, but not flat out fast. You know, it's well. I mean, that's 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 all relative as to the individual. But to me, yeah, it was it was fairly fast, but not flat out fast. I think I think if you run nine, you you hit three fifty eight or so, three fifty seven, something like that. Which is what you know. That was what I was really trying to do, but. A lot of the times it didn't happen. I I just felt too good, and you know I'm thinking, well, I feel good. I'm gonna I'm gonna crack on today, and maybe that cost me. You know, towards the end, I don't know. Hard to say, really.
0: I mean, I, I remember seeing some, you know, plenty of like three thirties in there, things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, you you and undoubtedly you're a very very competent runner. So I I know that your like marathon PB. That's under three hours, isn't it?
1: Yeah, my marathon PB is two hours forty eight.
0: Yeah. So, so you, you, kind of didn't come into this as just for context of everyone listening, somebody that, that wasn't, you know, well, well adverse to running, you'd ran plenty of challenges before, but yeah. to do 31 in 31, there's no denying it was going to be, you know, a, a, a marathon task for want of a better word.
1: A marathon task indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, only, it was only a year ago, sort of back in the last year when I started training for it, that I started, so when I trained for marathons, solo marathons, Training for marathons, as you're probably finding out right now, Beth, because I heard a whisper you are going to be training for one. You build up and you build up and you build up and you increase your mileage and then you recover from it and then you build up and build up and you increase your mileage and recover. As I did for, you know, when I've been, I, I've always done two marathons a year, the London Marathon and then somewhere else in the autumn time. And that's how it is, you know, and then you recover from it and then when you've recovered three or four weeks later, you might think about going for a run again and once the pain's gone, but, it was only really the start, you know, a year ago where I where I ran 20 miles one day and then 20 miles the next day. And even for me, 12 months ago, that was like incredibly difficult. We've done it on a Saturday night and then on a Sunday morning, so we're not a great amount of recovery time, certainly not enough time to refuel. Mm-hmm. Just done 4,000 calories there. I'm about to burn off 4,000 calories here. You know, there's not, there's not enough time to have eat 8,000 calories and sleep. So that second run for me, and that, was, that wasn't that was a marathon, that was 20 miles. It was grueling. It was like horrible, like running in treacle and running against a brick wall. You know, you adapt, and that's how all training works. You you, you overload, and then you adapt, and you recover, and then you, you go again. And then it wasn't that much longer after that. I'd done two marathons, back-to-back marathons at Barrow, at the yeah. Suffolk Runnings. And I've done a Saturday. Felt great, because... I carbo-loaded and my muscles were full of glycogen and I'm still on the start line and I'm thinking, hold it back So you're running tomorrow. Almost impossible to hold it back, especially when someone's pushing you. I ended up winning that race and (laughs) then went there there the next, got in a race with someone and ended up winning it. Went there the next day on Sunday, just like, (sighs) completely depleted and don't want to do this, but, you know, get there, turn up, get it done. And, yeah, it it wasn't pretty. But the same again, you know, all of a sudden I've now run, Two marathons in two days, back to back marathons. Let's recover from that, and then you know lower the lower the intensity a bit. I started putting some shorter blocks of training together, like I'd run 15 miles a day for 10 days, and then Mm -hmm. recover from that, and then right, let's put three marathons together. So I built it up, you know. Lockdown last year in March enabled a lot of people to run, and it certainly enabled me, freed up a lot of my time because I wasn't taking my classes physically, so I didn't have to drive my van to the venues and load the equipment up and out and set up and then clean them all. You know, I could do my classes from either from home or from my gym down the road. So it certainly enabled me to, to run a lot more. And I think, I don't know, maybe if lockdown hadn't happened, would I have done it? I, I probably would have done, but it certainly, it certainly helped my preparation massively.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, that I can immediately kind of... Um of linked back to that just in the, in the time that you do get back from you know not having to set up classes not traveling potentially yes. from place to place um and like you say that and I'm sure it's the same for for a bunch of, of your guys that do your boot camps like running became a really good focus in that in that first lockdown and you kind yep. of kept it that focus right the way through um and as I watched the whole the 31 in 31 develop you know can can you remember kind of uh, any points where where you kind of felt like, because for the first t- 26 roughly, was it maybe even more like, than that? You were on track for sub four? Yeah. And then. Um, sorry, you go. But
1: yeah, so, you know, what I wanted, what I, what I, wanted, what I don't like is my average time to be under four hours mm-hmm. for all. 31 marathon. so if because I always knew on boxing day I was going to do a trail run around here the free church is going to six and a half miles I was going to run around now four times and I know I wouldn't have got four hours running so if I'd have run a 4.30 as long as I've ran a couple of 3.45s or 3.44s that will counteract that so that was my my target I ran every every marathon started with a free up until day 23 day 23 had an awful day horrible run absolutely torrential rain floods was running out towards cambridge and just cold and wet and miserable and horrible and i ended up like with a well once i knew the four hours had gone what i did you know and i did do i did this consciously as i just thought well, i'm not pushing today i'm just gonna doesn't matter four hours is gone i've got i'm well under target still i'm just gonna finish it i'm gonna bring my heart rate back down and just finish it and i think i'd done four hours 40 mm-hmm. you know was a bit disappointed with it because that's not why I wanted to run but my average marathon time was still about 3.54, 3.53 at that point so it's still on you know mm-hmm. and then that was day 23, day 24 had a great run, day 20 Christmas Eve that was in Cambridge, day 25 had a good run, day 26 I done my trail run, it took me way way longer because the three churches route was just flooded and muddy and I'd done four laps of it and sort of used my house as an aid station because I lived quite near it and my wife was like, just go somewhere else. Just go and finish the right, you know, get off it because they walked part of it. Mm. <clears throat> and my friends, some of my friends are walking in. You, you, you can barely walk in it. It's just ridiculous. But, you know, I said I was going to do it, so I did. But I was still, you know, my times were still under until really day 29, which is when it, you know, when I was, which is when the time went well. Really day 28, I suppose, because I finished day 28 and I was, What had happened is I got an injury in my left foot and it started, you know, I know exactly when it started because I looked back at my photos on my phone afterwards and it was December the 10th and I've got a photo of my foot up on the, elevated up on top of the set with an ice pack on it and bottom of my foot and all around the edges was black, you know, it's starting to bruise up. And it was, you know, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't twisted it, I hadn't hit a hole or anything like that. It was just, and what I can put it down to is I mean, you know, I'm not 100% sure this is right, but it's the only thing I can put it down to is when I run and I run and train, I always run on the right-hand side of the road, as you're meant to, run towards the traffic. So if you need to get off the road quickly, you can dive in the hedge. You know, Don't run with the cars coming behind you because if there's some idiot hasn't seen you, you're not going to be able to move because you haven't seen him either. Mm-hmm. So because we have runners with us, or some runners and support cyclists, we're on the left-hand side of the road. We're effectively a car or a vehicle or a horse or whatever, and people have to give us time and overtake us. Now, the left camber of the road, you know, the road's obviously drained to the outside because, so, they don't, so they don't flood. And I, just, I honestly think it was that, and like just my left foot wasn't used to that, that incline you know it's also i wasn't just running five or six miles on, on that side of the road mm-hmm. i ran sort of over 800 miles in a month on it and i just think it was that and, you know just my what what my leg needed what my foot needed was just it needed a rest it just needed a, a day or two days rest days but obviously i couldn't do that um, and it just got progressively worse and progressively worse and the inflammation sort of moved all around my ankle and then up to my pretty much up to my knee really after day 28 I got home and the whole lower left half of my leg was just awful looking. You know, I could prod it and just leave a dent in it, and it just—it wasn't right. But anyway, well, we've only got three left. Let's get them done. And I didn't sleep a wink on day 28. I had some painkillers, and I, you know, I as a rule I try not to take any medication at all. Mm. And I started taking painkill— you know, um inflammation ibuprofen—trying to, to reduce the inflammation, and it was working, and it was taking up some of the pain away. Day 28, I'd taken the pain, and that, nothing was taking the pain. I was in so much pain in bed. I couldn't move my foot, couldn't twist it, couldn't move my leg. So I got no sleep. So I started day 29, you know, really not very confident and in a lot of pain. And I was actually running with a friend of mine who I helped train. It was her first marathon. You know, I'm meant to be helping her for her first marathon. I could barely talk to her. You know, I could literally barely talk. And she's chatting away to me and, you're right? and I was like yeah yeah but I was just in so much pain and but then I had someone look at my leg and it's someone who I know and who I trust and I think if anybody else had said it to me well I mean everyone was saying to me you need to get that looked mm-hmm. at and I was like I will do but on January the 1st you know I don't want to not finish this but this person who I know and I believe you know him as well who runs the race director of the Suffolk running centre which is Glenn yeah. He took a look at it and he said, Ben, if this was my race, I would call an ambulance for you, get you straight to the hospital. He said, you need to go to the hospital now. I said, because that, he said, that's just not right. He said, if you could be anything in there, and you know, and it was a real sorry state. So I went to hospital <clears throat> on day 29, had an x-ray, got a great reception from the doctors when I went in, and they said, what have you been doing? What have you done? I said, uh, yeah, I've been doing a bit of running. <laughs> How much? 28 i said i've run a marathon for the last 29 days and they're like yeah that'll do it but you know i had my x-ray and i sat down waiting for the results so many possibilities running through my head thinking if i'm in a cast because i you know i did think i had a stress fracture that's what i thought it was and a few other people have thought that, and i thought you know would, would they put me in a cast can i finish it in a cast i've only got two more to do and anyway went back in and it wasn't broken you know and it was almost like wow it's not broken it's like, no it's it was basically shin splints, you know, severe inflammation of the shins and ligament damage, which I'd done my ankle, my left ankle years ago playing football, and then they're never really right after that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's all it was. <laughs> so then what I did on day 30, you know, I went home from hospital and decided what I was going to do to finish it. And it was, thankfully, it was a Saturday, so I didn't have to work. Or well, I can't remember the to say, but I know I didn't have to work that day, whatever mm-hmm. it was, didn't have any classes on. So... I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I drove to town and at 5 o'clock in the morning I walked day 30. And I walked three quarters of a mile track up the race course, up there and back again, up there and back again. And it took me 11 and a half hours and it was absolutely grueling. And, you know, walking is, 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 is okay, walking is fine, but not when you've already just completed 29 days of running a marathon. So, you know, I was utterly exhausted already. I done the first half on crutches just to keep my foot off the floor because I didn't want to I didn't want to take do any more damage to it. And because I, you know, I'm not going to say it healed because it didn't heal, but it certainly allowed it a little bit of rest, you know, which I finished 11 and a half hours later. And I went home and my wife was like, so what's happening tomorrow? Are you walking again? I was like, no, I'm not walking the last day. I'm going to run it. And she was like, really? And I said, yeah, I'm going to run it. As long as I feel all right, as I feel like now in the morning, then I'm going to attempt to run, and that's what I did. So day 31, the last day, you know, it was my slowest marathon that I ran. It was like five hours 40-something, I think. But I managed to jog, run, shuffle the whole way. You know, I didn't walk any, and I just very, very slowly and very tentatively managed to complete it and got it finished. So, yeah, it was was certainly up and down, you know, and also by that point the the whole four-hour things had gone, but Mm -hmm. that's that's one of them things.
0: I think from from i think from a lot of people's perspective and we touched on this before we pressed the record button that 3 day period of the you know the the 29th day that was just sheer pain going into hospital not knowing what was going to come out the other end of it i remember seeing pictures of like even after the event had finished where you were like note to self don't wear socks because it was playing with the swelling and just the volume that yeah. you you couldn't what i what i would what i would say is imagine you know, most people's legs, the knee is the knee tends to be a little bit wider than than most of the shin, specifically the ankle. Yours was just kind of like straight down. There was just straight no, down, yeah. like, like an elephant's foot, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah literally. Yeah. Um, and you know, the mindset of being in hospital, not knowing what was going to happen, and then, you know, I would challenge most people couldn't get their mind around walking the same three quarter mile stretch on repeat for 26.2 miles let alone the crutches element let alone the pain element let alone the previous 29 marathons like where where does this inner strength of just kind of character and mindset come from like have you developed it over time do you think it's just something that's always been there
1: I honestly don't know, Beth, and I've been asked a lot lately. You know, and I come to the same conclusion: is I really don't know. I can tell you this: if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to I'm going to do it, or I'm going to attempt to do, it, give it 100 percent to try and do it. You know, when when I say about the roly mile, you could almost say that came down to my preparation because my last block of training, which I completed in October, was six marathons in six days, mm-hmm. and on day five of that. I didn't know where to go. I was working that day. I thought, where am I going to run? I want to keep it flat. And when I was driving into town, I still didn't know. I was talking to my wife on the phone. She was like, where are you running? I was like, I don't know. I'll, I'll decide when I get there. And then Just as I got into town, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the roady mile. I'm going to park up there. I haven't got to think about anything. It's flat. I haven't got to navigate. I can run up and down that road, and back, use my van, put a drink on, on the roof of my van. And that's what I did. So I'd actually already ran a marathon along that route. So you could say that, you know, the preparation for that paid off, although running it was far, far easier than walking it, I think. Mm. Well, it just took, it took seven hours less, but yeah, I'm, I don't know yet, you know, I was also, I think if it had been day two or day three and I was in hospital with my head in my hands, it might have been a completely different outcome, but I was so close to the end, you know, and I really, I desperately wanted to finish it and. You know, the charity would sort of said, "Well, you know, just have a day's rest." And I said, that's not I'm not having a day's rest. And you know, I've set out here to do 31, so I need to, I need to get it finished. You know, and even when I started walking on on day 30, I still I wasn't convinced I'd, I'd finished day 31 because I I wasn't convinced. I, did, I had no clue how walking was going to be that day. So it was all yes, yeah, you yeah, as you say that sort of three day period. It's like a real. What, you know, I look back on it now. It's like a real whirlwind. Really, It's absolutely crazy. Absolutely
0: crazy. But I think you know when when you look at where things are at now, uh, amazing initial target. You you know a thousand a thousand pounds per run. Thirty one thirty one thousand was your target, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Where, you know, tell the podcast where is it at now.
1: So I checked this morning, and but I will just say that you know when they we set out to raise thirty one thousand pounds. I thought that was very ambitious. And, you know, I thought it wasn't. It it wouldn't have bothered me if we hadn't have hit it, but it's always that sort of, well, you didn't get it. You know, I was more, yes, I'm doing this for the charity, but I'm focusing on the run. The fundraising stuff, that's down to you guys. You know, I'm going to do this and I'll do whatever you want me to do and whatever interviews you want me to do, but I'm focused on the run. So the charity and and the team we had behind us, really, they was focused on the fundraising. But then when they said 31,000, I thought, well, that's a lot of money for a solo just giving, you know, I've done a few of these just givings before and if you hit double figures you've done very very well especially in this climate of what happened last yeah. year and uncertainty especially at Christmas um but yeah 31,000 went I think in the first week or so Christmas day we were on we started to run on Christmas day and we was on 96,000 pound which is unbelievable and I was doing a live link beforehand and I said on this live link you know we're at 96 grand can we get to 100 by the end of the day and Guys are with me on the bike, two miles later, literally two miles later, 18, 17 minutes later, they're checking, we're at 100000 The four grand had gone in already. And it just kept climbing and climbing. And I checked this morning with the gift aid that's to be added, it's now on £192,000. It's just mind-blowing.
0: And for, Mind- for, a, for a small, you know, locally-based charity, a very specific charity, that's, that's certainly going to be... You know an incredible incredible help and support to, to you know we don't want any children to find themselves in this place but if they do that charity is now going to be able to help them in ways that it's potentially never been able to before
1: I know that's that's correct you know a thousand pounds provides psychological support to a family for a year so effectively now that's 192 families they can help next year and as I said earlier if you think about that the impact of how many people so if you think how many people are going to benefit from you know from me having this sort of silly idea, it's it's crazy. Really. and I I to get my head around it. If I'm honest, you know, and I think that if I wasn't doing it for a charity, then the whole four-hour thing would really really bug me. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't because it does because that's you know what I set out to do. But I realised probably about two weeks into it that this is not really about anymore and whether i can get under four hours it, it just sort of morphed into something far far bigger mm-hmm. you know and the people that were coming out was just it just built and built and built momentum 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 all the time and we'd post the routes the night before right this is where ben's running tomorrow he's starting at 10 and they would post the route new market for and blah blah from that from about what week one onwards really it was just people everywhere and i mean everywhere i would turn the corner in the middle of nowhere And there'd be 10 cars parked up, people sat on their roofs and the kids on the roofs, beep, 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 kids have made flags, banners, whistles, horns. It was just unbelievable. You know, I've ran the London Marathon a few times. That's what it reminded me of, you know, that sort of carnival. But there wasn't 40,000 people coming past, it was me. And these people, it was Christmas, it was cold, it was December. And these people had been stood there and I don't know how long they're standing there. They've got a rough idea of when I'm coming through. They have no idea. I, if I've had a fast one, I might be there 20 minutes before. If I've, if I've had a bad one, I might be another 20 minutes later. So potentially, they need to be there for an hour. And it just, you know, it, it really humbled me and made me realise that this is not about you so much, about me so much personally. Yes, I wanted to get them all under four hours, and I, and, you know, and I came close to it. You know, if anyone wants to challenge that record then we can say 28 we got we got 28 under four hours as an average so if you can beat that then you you're welcome to take it. but it yeah it just you know the money that was coming in and the support we was getting and the, the messages I was getting from people just I didn't expect it you know and mm. it, it was it was very very humbling, very very emotional as well.
0: I, can, I mean, I can only imagine just seeing it kind of just through, through social media, you saw, you saw the whole thing grow. Um, would, would you say that was your favorite, favorite part of doing the event or, or is there another thing that stands out?
1: Yeah, I think the way that it, I think the way that people got behind it was, yeah, mm. it was, you know, it was just incredible. You know, and another thing that happened out of this, which no one really knew would. And so it was so we had a, we had a meeting every other week for the last four months. Five or six of us, a couple from the charity, people who helped me in the team, the photographer guy. We'd meet up every Tuesday over at um, Cambridge, sit in the cafe for a couple of hours, talk about this element, that element, how we're gonna do this bit, how you know there's a hell of a lot of organising. Even to have which we was allowed at the time to five cyclists with me, mm-hmm. you know, to organise five cyclists per day, that's thirty-one days. That's you're gonna get that's 150 odd emails. To then reply to and say, Can you do oh no, I can't do Tuesday, I can only do Thursdays because my man's have to take my you know, and it's all and this was get thousands of emails I said, Thankfully from the outset, I said all I'm gonna do is focus on my training and the running, you know, whatever else that's gonna and you know, now we had a great team with us, like behind us. Um what I was saying is what we didn't realize is the awareness of the charity everybody now knows about you know everybody in this area now knows about tom's trust whereas before a lot of people didn't Mm -hmm. And i think that is also invaluable to the charity that people are aware of them but yeah i don't know if i can particularly say what was the greatest part or or even the worst part you know everyone always said oh it must have been great when you finished i don't know i wouldn't say it's underwhelming i wouldn't say it's overwhelming it was just sort of like well we're done you know didn't quite get me four hours so i'll have to do it again
0: the whole whole thing strikes me as there's a a you know a refreshing and a i would say a healthy level of self-competitiveness uh drive and stubbornness just in you say you're going to do something not only do you do it but you're doing it to the best of your ability um and i yeah i'd call it like health a healthy level of of Stubbornness to a point. You're not just kind of pig headedly stubborn as you might hear people say, but it's like, I I want to challenge myself in a certain way. I'm going to set something out. I'm going to do it, but I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to do it as well as I can. And I think that's something that people could, you know, take from this podcast and apply to any part of their life.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, when I when I first trained for my first marathon, which is two thousand and five, you know you'd have said to me the next morning on the day after I ran that marathon and I couldn't walk you know I literally couldn't walk well I could walk by, my legs were straight I couldn't bend my legs I was in so much pain certainly wouldn't think about sitting down on the toilet because I wouldn't have been able to get up again and I was in America and I went into the shop in the went into this the running shop the next day to have a look and the lady's like oh you got the marathon walk <laughs> and I was like yeah you know and I couldn't if you'd have said to me then 15 years later you'd run 31 of those in a month you know I would have thought you'd come from Mars or something. So it's, it's about, yeah, if you're going to, I'm not someone who's just said, I'm a non-runner, I'm going to go and run 31 and you know, it's not, it's, and I've said this a few times, it's not an accident and it's not a coincidence, I trained for it, I prepared for it as best as I possibly could. And I think I did, you know, my biggest fear from the outset was, was getting injured. And although I did... Not really enough to, to stop me too much. I broke my foot last year, the year before last, when I was out running. Just switched off for a second, missed the pothole. My foot went in, or half of it went in, and it snapped my fifth match Arsenal. If that, that had happened on day one, I mean, if that had happened on mile one of day one, that would have been it. The whole thing over, and all the build-up and everything, you know, that would have been it. It'd be gone. There's nothing I could have done about it. I wouldn't have been able to run it. So my biggest fear was not being injured, but, you know, really, okay, I did I did pick up an injury, but it was almost also manageable in a way. Not to be able to run under four hours, but, you know, to, to complete what I set out to complete.
0: I think it's, it's fair to say you you were aware of, of the one thing that could throw the whole thing off, which was, you know, an injury that perhaps you would have had very little control over. But what was in your lane, what was in your control was your preparation. Not only a preparation in terms of physically, but mentally uh you know your your kind of your recovery protocols your food like i mean your food you must have been putting away some calories through december
1: i was yeah well i was trying you know that's the Mm. thing and it's you know if you want to if you want to run a marathon you can buy probably 100 books that will tell you how and or the best way that they that author thinks is the best way to approach it and if you want to look on youtube i'm sure there's millions of videos but there's nothing about how to run 31 marathons in 31 days there's no blueprint for it so the only information I could get really from people who'd done something similar or people who had done 10 in 10 or 20 in 20 even but um you know it's a massive learning curve really because even on day one even on day two day two I remember day two I started I just felt awful straight away and I got a wobble on you know what you call like a hunger wobble and I've and got some, some girls with me on the bike, and I'm like, give me a banana, and I've got a banana. And this is like two miles in, give me them gels, and it them jelly. And I'm just craving some food. And then I'm thinking to myself, what did I eat yesterday? Well, i done my first marathon, I got up, I had a big bowl of porridge and a banana. And then when I finished the marathon, I went home and I had a huge big lunch, and I had fish and chips for tea, and that's it. And I said this out loud, and the guy on the bike went, I'm a good mate, I ate more new yesterday. He said, "I haven't run a marathon yesterday. I'm trying to run a marathon, you know." And I'm just thinking to myself, "I only had three. I had three big meals, but I only had three meals. How on earth am I going to sustain this if I don't? You know." So really, a lot of it was learning on the job. You know, well, I haven't got enough time because I've, got, I've only got ten hours before I go again. We'll set your alarm. So I, I was setting my alarm for midnight. Get up, have a pizza, go and eat, go back to bed. Set my alarm half four. Get up. Remember one night, got up, had a chicken curry two cans of full fat coke, straight back to sleep. It was like, how can you sleep after that? Because I'm shattered and I'm exhausted. So I was getting, I was literally having midnight feast. I was having to set my alarm. And one day, I learned pretty quickly that one day of not having enough calories just had a huge knock on the face. And it might not even be the next day, but it might be three days later. And it's, mm. you know, the, the, the thing is when you run a marathon, every time I've done London Marathon, my friends and family come down, my wife comes down. I finish, I meet him, we always go to the restaurant, same place, and I'm not hungry. Okay, I want to have a couple of beers, but I'm not hungry. They're starving because they've been walking around London for six hours following me, and they're gravelous. Because my blood is pumping around my body so fast, trying to recover your muscles and everything else, it's not, you don't have the blood in your stomach for digestion, so you're not hungry. Two days later, you cannot be full up, you can't get full up, you know, all of a sudden, your body needs these calories that it's used, mm. and you, you're, you're ridiculously hungry, you know, so I had that as well, and I always, you know, I remember saying on, um, I think it was like day 21, it was three weeks into it, oh, well, I should be just about recovering from day one now, you know, because that's really how long it takes you to recover <laughs> from a marathon, but yeah, lots of, lots of food, lots of calories, in the end, it was a case of whatever works for you mm-hmm. doesn't upset your stomach too much just you can't I'm not going to agree I lost three kilos in December in total which really is you know for the amount of miles and calories I, I expended is not a huge amount so I think I've, I think I've got it right but it took me a bit of time to get it right
0: but I mean as you say there, there was no rule book no kind of rule book to no. follow and things like that and you you touched on kind of first marathons and things and things like that, and I really want to kind of um, I think you know there's a few straightforward answers in terms of building things up and stuff like that, but I know a lot of my guys that are, that are listening started running potentially like this year have done their first. 5k's maybe moved on to like 10k's, 6-milers. Some of them did half marathons. Some went and did like the Berry to Clare with me which was just an absolute slog for and I, I mean it was only 18 miles I'll say, but it was the weather was horrendous for that. So they're all building up. Um and if if they're sat listening and they're like totally motivated, I want to find my first marathon, I want to get an event in as someone that's prepped for I want to say probably getting on towards maybe hundreds of those now. Um, where, where, what would you advise them to kind of, how would you advise them to build things up, pacing, little things like that? What would be your top tips?
1: Well, I mean, it's all, every, every person is different. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And, you know, with my guys, we we have, I train a few of them for marathons and stuff. and Everyone's at different levels and everything else. But, you know, I personally believe, and I say this to my lot a lot, is that everybody... Okay, there's people on this planet who aren't physically able because of disabilities and stuff, but there's not any, there's not one person on this planet who sh- couldn't and shouldn't run a marathon. And you know, they say if you want to, the saying is something like, if you want to, if you want to experience running, I can't remember what it is, but there's a saying. But it, it, but the thing is, okay, if you want to experience life, run a marathon, basically. You know, and I think they should. So you need to have what your goal is. In your mind, you know. When I started running, I started running to lose weight because I had weight to lose for a boxing match. And when I had the boxing match, I decided I didn't want to put the weight back on. And at the time, I was running sort of four or five miles. This was two thousand and three, you know. And then I thought, I thought, and I quite actually quite enjoyed it. Whereas so when I used to box ten years before that, I used to hate the running part. I used to have to run three miles a week, three times a week. My coach would be like, "Have you done your running?" We're like, "Yeah." I hate. It, it felt like a marathon when i got, when i boxed the game 10 years later you know i got into the running and you know my i literally you could write it, you could get it out of the rule book i went from 5k races to 10k to a half marathon I remember doing my first half marathon and walking back to the car shuffling back to the car thinking no chance. There's no way on this earth could i do that would i want to or could i run that distance again you know physically mentally i could not do that but over time, you know, within a year, I'd ended a marathon and then anyone who's doing marathon training will know you just got to keep adding very, very small increments and then recover from that and then go again. So if you hit 18 miles one week, recover and then maybe 19 and then recover and then, you know, well now all of a sudden 19 is not going to be too difficult because you know you've done it mentally. You know you can run 19 miles you know, and I think that that came into effect with me really in in 31 because at no point did I think I can't run 26.2 miles. It wasn't really the distance that ever, ever bothered me. It was more the time. Can I do this, you know, can I do this in this time really? But yeah, in answer to your question is yeah, you have to just build up, you know, you can't, you can't run before you can run, I suppose, mm-hmm. instead of run before you can walk, but you ha- you know, you can't, you can, I, I personally think anybody on this planet now could run a marathon whether you've done no running or not. whether If you had to, you could go and run 26.2 miles a day. If I was saying, telling you that your child was sat on the edge of a cliff 26 miles away, and if you're not there in five hours, they're going to inch forward, you'd get there. Now, you would suffer getting there, and you would suffer massively the next week afterwards, but you could do it. But it's about doing a marathon. And I say this a lot. You know, If you're physically and as mentally prepared as you can possibly be on that race day, it's going to be the hardest day of your life simple as that no 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 doubts about it and that's if you are mentally and as physically prepared as you can be now imagine doing that if you're not imagine trying to comp- complete that distance and people forget how far 26.2 miles is it's a long long way to run but if you're not prepared what happens is so this is how I how I speak to people who are runners they come up to me and they say I ran a London marathon. Did you? The first question, without a shadow of a doubt, I always ask them: Did you enjoy it? If they say, "I did," but you know what, that was a tough, then I know that they trained for it and they prepared for it. If they say, no, it's crap. It's the worst thing I've ever done. Never do it again," you didn't prepare for it. That's why you didn't train for it. You was lucky enough to get a place. You didn't. You didn't prepare for it, and you'll get. You will get found out with marathon running. Any corners you cut. Be it in your nutrition, be it in your training, be it anything. You'll get found out, it's just, as you will in most sports. You know, a lot. Some team sports, you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. You know, box. I used to box. Can't get away with it in boxing at all. You instantly get found out. And you know yourself if you went out on a Friday night and didn't didn't train on a Saturday and Sunday because you was hungover. Mm-hmm. And then you think I'll oh, you know, I'll get away with that, but you don't, unfortunately. And, you know, I'm forty eight years old now and it's took me a long time to realise that really, but because when I was, certainly when I was boxing when I was in my twenties, you know, I got away with it because I was young, I think, more mm-hmm. than anything.
0: It's like you say, like there's there's nowhere to hide. it's individual, isn't it? It's you it's you versus you. It's you versus kind of you know keeping your mindset in check and things like that you know I I come from a footballing background I could have an absolute stinker of a game but we could still win 3-0 because I've got 10 other girls that are digging me out of a hole that I'm buried myself in whereas if I if I've you know prepared poorly for something it and and it's a solo run or, or it's a solo endeavor it's it very quickly becomes you versus you and you find yourself out very very quickly and then it's how much of a dark hole do you want to dive in? As you said the more you prep probably the the less deep that hole goes. Yeah. In terms of your background. So a few people might not know this, but you you tend to be a man that likes to do things a little bit differently. Would that be fair to say in terms of sporting endeavors and challenges? You've got a this is on a podcast, but Ben has got the biggest smile on his face right now as I've said that. So you know, I've seen there's there's tumble dryers that pop up in, in your in your history. There's Ultimate Hell Week, which is something that's totally kind of far left for a lot of people. Ski has somebody pipped that record off you?
1: Someone pipped my... So someone said so I had the 24-hour world record. I had the age group record, which is 40 to 49. And I also had the overall world record. Now, the overall, overall world record went about six months after I did it. And I just looked the other day, because I thought, I'll have a look, see if I still got it. And I was, what? It's gone. Someone's took it. And they actually took it on the first of December, 2020, the day when marathon started. I couldn't believe the cheek of it. They knew that I was unavailable. I still I still hold the world record for the longest continuous skier, because when I done my 24 hours, I stayed on for an extra hour. Because at the time the world record was twenty four hours, so I'd done an extra hour to get twenty five hours. So I still got, I still got my name on the Concept Two website, but yeah, I might have to uh, get that back at some point. So but yeah, wh- yeah, I've done a few, a few things, I suppose.
0: Where does the is it is it just a case of you just simply love to test what you're capable of? Is that it? Is, does it just boil down to that, or do you sit there having a Google and thinking, I oh, fancy a bit of that. That looks doable. Like where where does it sit, or is it a bit of both?
1: Well, I certainly don't sit there Googling and Googling <laughs> things. You know, most of them come to me, if that makes sense. You know, I don't, I'm not looking for them. You know, we watch Ninja Warrior here. And my kids are like, oh, Dad, you should go. Oh, you, I'd be awful on Ninja Warrior. I'm not, I haven't got nowhere near enough upper body strength or gymnastic ability. I could complete the course, but I certainly couldn't go on there and, and try and win it. So it's not, I don't just think, oh, look, there's a record. I'm going to go for it. You know, that has to be, it has to be something that I think would challenge me first and foremost. And something that I think, if I prepared correctly for it, could I possibly get it? There's no point me entering something. You know, I remember Cambridge Half Marathon a couple of years ago, after I'd run the London Marathon with the tumble dryer, Cambridge Half Marathon approached me and asked me if I would run it for the Guinness record as the fastest half marathon dressed as a university student with the, the cap, the cap, and the, you know, and I'm thinking, I can't go from carrying 25 kilos in a marathon to running a half marathon in effectively a, a long black cloak and a cap. You know, it's just, it's not, I just can't do that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, that's taken a step backwards and people will just think, well, that's really not a challenge for, for some people that may be, but you know, it wouldn't have been to me. So, um, I think what it boils down to is I was never, I, I didn't do very good at school when mm-hmm. I was at school You know, I detested school. I detested all, every second of being at school much booted out when i was sort of 14 15 didn't take a single sit a single exam didn't do college or anything like that you know so i was never really any any good at anything when i was younger when i got into boxing i, I really wanted to be a good boxer but the time again i wasn't really very good at i really enjoyed boxing but i wasn't very good at it and i had like 14 15 fights and I, I won half of them and i lost half of them you know and then so i wasn't particularly good at boxing but i did enjoy it um you know and then when i got into running I quickly found I had a, had a bit of success with it. And I think for the first time in my life, it was a, it, I was good at something, you know. And then when I go into marathon running, it took me about three years to get into marathon running. When I go into marathon running, you know, with the right amount of training and discipline and dedication, I can get under three hours. And there's not that many people in this area, in my running club who can, probably mm-hmm. a handful. You know, so all of a sudden I'm in the top. I'm in the top bracket or something, and I've never been in the top bracket or anything before. I also this also coincided when I started boxing coaching. You know, and again I I felt like I had a bit of a natural ability for boxing coaching, and I pretty quickly went through the levels, and within six years I was appointed head coach of Cambridge University Boxing Club. You know, so I was pretty proud of that as well. So I think with the running. Definitely it was the first thing I'd ever been good at, you know, and I wanted to do more of it and I was prepared to work hard at it and, I, you know, I loved it and I loved what I got out of it. And I'd spend four months. And if I spent four months training 70, 80 miles a week and I took two minutes or a minute off my marathon PB, then I'd go home happy with that, you know. On the other hand, I've had plenty of marathons where I've trained hard for and I haven't got it, you know. I've crossed crossed the line, broke down and just like... Absolutely devastating because it, you know, it means a lot to me, and I want to, I want to always try and better myself. For the healthy, the hell week thing, it was. I remember watching series one, and I what, and I watched it, and I suddenly saw. I looked, and I thought, I know that guy. There's a guy on it called Steggles, Lee Steggles. I said to Lee, I'm sure well, that's Lee Steggles and they didn't have their name on thing and then I saw him again. It's like, yeah, that is him. And I watched his program and I thought, what on earth would he go on this for? Why would you be put yourself up for something like that? And it was horrific what they were putting him through. And they filmed this in North Wales on series one. And then series one went well, so they then done a series two and I'd spoken to Lee and he was like, Why don't you put your name down for it? And I was like, Yeah, I don't know. he's like, all oh, right, he goes, I know the producer, I'll put a word in for you. So I said, all right, so I applied for it you know, not really expecting to hear anything, filled out a form online, not really expecting to hear anything back. And then got a call from the BBC and can you come in for a casting audition? So I did and it basically turned out five thousand people had applied for it. You know, we went in for a casting audition. I think they saw a thousand people. Went in for a first casting audition. Then we had to go back, you know, I got selected food in the next days then I had to go back and then eventually it got to it was like 60 of us they took down to north wales for a selection weekend and they said that you know the 22 who are flying to south africa because they're filming this this series two in south africa you're in this room now you know and it's up to you to get on that plane and we had a, we had a selection weekend down there and it's just i mean i knew i always knew if i could get to selection weekend i'd be in i'd be on the plane because selection weekend was just i loved it they loved every part of it, it was just being absolutely beasted for two days by army officers and burpees and sprints and running and carrying and crawling and people were dropping like flies, you know, literally dropping like flies. But yeah, it's great. And then, yeah, then I got the call that I was on the the plane and a month later I was flying out to South Africa with 21 other people.
0: I mean, that's, I watched it. I watched the series that you were in um, and I think... Uh, people listening to this may may remember it, they may not. I think, obviously, SAS Who Dares Wins is now the the, the one that people yes. will probably think of. Yeah. The format for this was quite different. If I remember rightly, it was a couple of days with a special forces attachment from X country, like Australia, then South yeah. Africa, then maybe the SAS themselves. And I think you got tested differently by different branches of, of each each country's special forces, which the difference between them... Um, I thought was was really really staggering, and and the way that they each phase had that obvious difference. I don't know, I don't know if you in kind of how you would summarise that to people. I mean, it was a yeah, obvious you're, challenge.
1: You're, you're you're correct. That's how the format was. So with the SAS Channel Four one, you know, I I don't, I don't dislike the program, but I feel like it's more about. The instructors and it is the, the contestants you know the contestants really are sort of paid or not unpaid extras I suppose whereas with ours it was every 48 hours a different instructor instructor from somewhere around the world and you don't know who this instructor is until he either surprises you jumps out on <laughs> you whatever however they're going to bring him in um yeah so it turns out our first one was the SAS uh, South African Special Forces the recce's second one was Polish Groms Crazy guy, absolutely crazy. Third one. So the first one, South African guy, he's just a big bear monster of a man. And he got to say, you know, we was in the back of this truck, and we were, we we're all in our normal clothes, and we we're all rocking along in this truck and having a laugh, and the camera crew were there, and all, you know, we've been two days in the hotel having like briefings and meetings, and and they just said, well we're on our way to base camp." So we all sort of sat there thinking, "Oh, this is fun," you know. It's a bit warm out here though, because we're out in the, in the middle of nowhere in South Africa, and then all of a sudden. load of trucks come out of nowhere and sort of ambush us firing machine guns in the air smoke grenades going off and they just literally drag us out you're thinking i hope this is uh i think this is part (laughs) of the program here you know it's just like instant you know and all of a sudden this guy turned up we couldn't see him because we've been told to lie down on the floor and we're all face down on the floor do not move, do not move. And then we're just lying there thinking, what the hell is going on? And then you hear this voice, my name is Lieutenant Clinton Agnew from the South African Special Forces. You know, and he basically just beasted us for about 15 minutes. Up you get, run round that tree, get back. Up you get, run around that tree, get back. Stand up, get down, stand up, get, you know, just constant. So when you watch it on the programme, we're all in our normal clothes, shoulders and shorts and t-shirt. and Within two, three minutes, we're just dripping with sweat. But this guy, you know, it's amazing really, because there are 22 of us who obviously 22 of us all fancied ourselves and fancied our chances. We hadn't even seen him and he had us eating out of the palm of his hand just from his authority and his voice. Mm. And all of a sudden we're like, good God, what's going on here? You know, it's like, you know, And I've subsequently become good friends with him. And it's scared the life out of me. He absolutely scared. He was the scariest man I've ever met in my life, but he was very fair. He's very honest. Um, We had the Polish Grom guy come in he just looked like he had a screw loose. He just talk, just, he was angry. He wouldn't shout, but he was angry. So he said, like, I said to you, it's a goal, took the grip on you. We're like, this guy is crazy. Then we had the American Green Berets guy. Mm. He was fantastic. All of a sudden, he's given us positive feedback. You guys, you right, you know, really over the top American. And then on the fourth cycle, we had the South Korean Special Forces, and that was the one that I left with. I left the program on because I just had enough of him basically and he pushed me and pushed me and eventually I snapped and told him basically what he could do with his pile of rice that he wanted me to, grains that he wanted me to separate and that was that, it was over and, and I was pretty, pretty devastated at the time because I put a lot of effort, once I applied for it and once I got a phone call back from the BBC and they said you know we want you to come in and that was probably six months before I went you know I was out training with a 25-kilo pack and army boots on, running up and down the heap here for six months, you know, I'm going to be as prepared as I possibly can for this. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden it was over, you know, and I was pretty pretty distraught really when I was out, when I left, because it's just me losing my temper. Physically, I was tired and I was exhausted because we hadn't had a lot of sleep and we hadn't had a lot of food. i have been in South Africa for like 10, 11 days at this point. Physically, there wasn't a great deal they threw at me that phased that me, you know. And the, the camera crews want you to be phased and you, know, you do one of their one of their exercises and, and they come up to you and say is that the hardest thing you've ever done so, uh, run 100 miles in a day once. that's so way harder right, what about you was that the hardest thing you've ever done the next bloke next year's on the blog going, yeah that's the hardest thing and that's the do they want to film yeah they're, that's they're not yeah. interested in you sort of sitting there going that's nah, all right that was easy so but, you know i look back and it now it's four years ago and it was just an incredible incredible experience we all had to see a psychologist before we went in. Once, mm. we, once we knew he was in BBC, we all had to go, go down to the BBC Broadcasting House and spend an hour with a psychologist, just to him to sort of warn us how it would work and you know, to say sort of things along the lines of like, you know, for the camera crew and stuff, this is just the job for them, remember that. Tomorrow they're going to be filming Come Dine With Me or something, you know, so they're not emotionally attached to it like you were. You know, and I met, remember him saying, he goes, this is going to be a huge part of your life. I was like, it's not going to be a huge point, you know. And looking back on it now, it was it was, a, it was probably a turning point in my life as well, really. And you know what? The 21 other people, one of them at the moment is running seven marathons in seven days. One of them is preparing to run the the length of for Scotland. What some of them are winning titles, fights, MMA. You know, everybody, every one of us is just constantly, constantly doing things, and it's it's great to see. You know, I don't know why everyone's like that, but you could say it's good casting maybe mm-hmm. and that when they'd done their casting they sort of you know because I didn't think my backstory was really good enough to get me in uh, I didn't really come from we didn't grow up poor we didn't grow up rich and we was we, I sort of grew up poor but we, I wouldn't say we was in poverty you know and some of these guys there, uh, the stories they had were you know they were literally growing up in poverty and s- stories of suicide and horrible horrible stuff they'd, things they'd been through It's me you know I had a bit of a tough childhood but you know, and all I was was a marathon runner, an ex-boxer, and a marathon runner. Really. So I really didn't think I had enough to get in in the first place. But getting I did. You know, like I say, I loved it. It was uh, it was incredible, really. I was I was disappointed to leave, but you know, when I when I left, what happened was I flew home four days earlier than I should have done because I should have got to the final, but I didn't. Because I flew home early, I, s- I flew home on a Saturday and on a Sunday, I sat and watched the London Marathon. And it was the first year in 10 years I wasn't running the London marathon because i meant to be in South Africa, but I'm not because I lost my temper and now here I am mm. back in Gaisley. So I'm watching a London marathon and there's a guy running with a tumble dryer on his back and the camera crew stopped and they said, what on earth are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm going for the Guinness record of fastest marathon carrying a household appliance. And they said, well, what does it weigh? And he said, it has to weigh 25 kilos throughout. And as soon as he said the word 25 kilos... Ooh. Let me see. So I took his race number and I followed him and I tracked him on the app and he didn't. get had to run under six hours and he didn't. He got I think he was like an hour six hours and six minutes. So he just missed it. And Guinness had set this record a few years before and no one had ever taken it. And I just thought, you know what? I know a twenty-five kilos feels like, you know, and my mindset as well. I was, I was disappointed in myself because I should have been in South Africa. I was disappointed watching the London Marathon because I should have been running the marathon. And it, I pretty much made the decision there and then. I'm going to have a have a crack at that world well, record and, and that's that's how the tumble dry came about so if I you know if I hadn't have left South Africa when I did and that would have never happened and I don't know, you know I changed my career two years ago I've worked in the building industry all my life didn't particularly enjoy it It's you know sort of mm-hmm. a means to an end but coached boxing for the last 20 years then more recently in the last sort of five or six years CrossFit coaching where I just coached evenings and weekends and you know I had this sort of could I make this my full time job? You know, how, you know, I don't care how much I get paid, as long as I can cover the bills. Could I? Could I do this? Because I love doing this. I don't love doing the building and climbing up and down ladders. And I think had I not done the tumble dryer, then maybe I wouldn't. You know, all of a sudden, sort of everybody knew me for it. And I think it. I think it was a good platform for me to to build on to when when I eventually say I my wife and I make decision. We're going to stop the building, stop the roofing, and we're going to go full-time with this and, and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then you know what? At least we try because, you know, if, if I hadn't done it two years ago, I'd still be sitting here now thinking, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. You know, I've also got a little gym down the road now, just a small small unit, which is unfortunately shut at the moment, same as everywhere is. But that's that's not a reflection on me or anything I'm doing. That's just the world over. So I have a small gym where I just coach one-to-one boxing clients the box you know not boxers just clients some some of them are boxers some of them will never box but it's a good workout so yeah i effectively turned my hobby into a career you know and, and the the vivo classes are going really well membership's really strong same again covid has kicked us in the mouth but you know we'll we'll come back from this stronger i believe all of us will Definitely. but yeah I, th- I think you know if i hadn't have done if i hadn't have done the tumble dry i think it would have been not impossible
0: i think it would have been diff- a lot more difficult to do yeah was one of the the things i was going to come to a lot has changed in for you over the last few years and i think some people will be listening to this thinking you know coaches multiple multiple sessions a day runs multiple boot camps across multiple locations fits in all the you know the training time for the things that you do isn't necessarily a short window of training it requires big blocks of training two, you know, two young sons, I'm sure a wife that wants, you know, some attention at some point or another, like people will be sat thinking, I'm sure there's only 24 hours in the day. Like how does Ben fit it all in? And uh, if you could kind of just, I I guess, share some of the, some of the kind of maybe the protocols that you follow or the things that you put in place that allow you to have the kind of life where you are trying to squeeze every 1% out. Like what is it that you kind of, you do to give you the time?
1: Well, one is I don't watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do watch football matches. And you know, if Arsenal are playing, I'll always watch Arsenal. And occasionally, I may watch another football match in bed. Most evenings, I'm in bed by nine o'clock. You know, and I know that's probably sad, but you know, that's that's what it is. But I, I my alarm is set for four thirty every single day, regardless or not whether I've got classes. So Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. I have to be up at 4.30 because I need to get up and leave my house at 5.15 to go and set the class, first class up. So, but even on, you know, other days, I still get up at half. four. sometimes if I'm not working, I may go and sit in front of the front room and have another half hour or so on the setting. But, you know, I don't watch TV. Um, I watch football and occasionally I still watch a bit of boxing. My wife may say to me, I'd like to watch this with you tonight. So I say, of course don't, let's sit and watch it. So, you know, sometimes I, I do sit and watch TV, but, you know, I think that, you, anything you do you've got to want to do it, haven't you and then mm-hmm. i i had so many years of being inactive i from my from my 20s to my 30s really all i did was play football on a saturday afternoon for 90 minutes with my mates playing in a, in a league game and then we'd literally leave the pitch and go to the pub and then we'd be in the pub for probably 6 7 hours you know for the rest of saturday mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what i did for 10 years you know and i've got a lot of weight on i was over 100 kilos at one point and I used to smoke. I used to smoke heavily as well. So you know, I don't. If I, if I, want, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out by not sitting there, not watching telly. You know, and thinking. You know, I know people who sit there and watch, and this is fine. This is up to them. It's you know, people can, anyone can do whatever they want to do as long as they're not hurting anybody else. And that is my philosophy on life. You know, I have no issues with anyone. But some people can sit there and watch six six soaps on a Monday night back-to-back from Hollyoaks to EastEnders, you know, and then you say to him about running, and, oh, I haven't got time to run, I can't, you know. Well, you know, if you didn't watch three hours, four hours worth of TV every night, you could certainly find a little bit of time to run. And know, the other thing is, we're, here, we're only here once at said a minute ago, I'm 48, so hopefully I'm about halfway, you know. If things go well, I'm about halfway. And I want to make the most of every single second I'm here. You know, I literally... I'm awake for my alarm every day because I, I jump out of bed. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I like, can't wait to get to the field. You know, and I never once did that on a building site. Never once it would be. You know, I'd get there as late as I could and think, here we go again. And I, I literally love every second of, of it. You know, it's, it's hard work. I, I fought when I set it up, and I don't need to tell you this, Beth, because you, you know. Well, I thought when I set it up. Well, you know, I'm working manually on a building site day how hard can three classes a day be but it's not just running three classes a day it's the being present being able to talk to every one of your members who wants to talk to you and as as you well know when you become their coach you talk they, people tell you a lot of things you know and something and like messages i get i must get 50 60 a day even you know on a on a quiet day sometimes it's something as simple as should I bring a mat today? You know, you want to reply, yes, bring a mat. Why wouldn't you? But you can't reply that. You'd say, yes, of course. You know, and sometimes it's a yes. Other times it's, you know, I had a message from a lady a while ago, you know, I just wanted to let you know I've just come off antidepressants, depressants for the first time in 20 years. You know, I'm not going to send back brilliant, great, see you tomorrow. That's got to be a more measured response. Mm -hmm. And all of these things take time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so there's a far more, far more to it. You know, and I feel like I have a huge responsibility now and, you know, even since thirty one you know, since well, thirty one marathons we refer referred to it as thirty one, you know, but uh, I had some messages from people I don't know who really like moving messages out of messages from a guy who was telling me that he's what well, is a friend of his saying he was close to suicide in December and you know, he said he started following thirty one and he said it almost gave him a reason to, to, to keep going and he said and you know now he's right he started running again and just like incredible messages about you know when you talk about like male suicide and stuff I've had probably three or four different people who I don't know who've sent me messages now telling me that there was at some point in their life they was considering it and it's just you know I did this is not what I set out to do when I when we set up Vivo or we set out to do this these are like external things that have come in I didn't so I wasn't even prepared for, but, you know, I, I like, I don't like the fact that people have been through it. Of course I don't, but I like the fact that people are putting their trust in me and talking mm-hmm. to me about it because, as I said to you earlier, you know, I've never really done a great deal in my life. Now all of a sudden I'm almost like becoming a bit of a, someone people can turn to or obviously feel that they can message me and mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's a pretty wonderful thing.
0: It's a, it's a privilege, isn't it? It's just... It is just—it's a
1: privilege, it is. That's the word, yeah.
0: It's a real it's... privilege it's an absolute privilege and that's like the way that I look at coaching you know and and every single it can be tiring it can sometimes be be overwhelming if I haven't done my due diligence maybe my end to to switch off or whatever but being the the kind of support being able to provide a support network and create something that others then become friends and support each other and they're going out for runs. And before they joined your, you know, the thing that is your, your baby, they didn't know each other. And then you've got this community that like through, and I know you'll have experienced it with Vivo as well through COVID. I've just like watched this thing flourish into this supportive network that now I'm like, I'm, I'm in charge of. And it's, and it's just, it is an absolute privilege to try and, you know, point, i guess steer the ship in the right direction and have and have people that that put your, their trust in you i think it's probably one of the most valuable things
1: yeah it is isn't it you're right it, it's a privilege you know and um, it's 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 overwhelming for me at times mm-hmm. i think you know sometimes i can't quite fathom it out and you know and back in december we you know, i don't know if it's because you know every day i'd start with a live video feed and a couple of days i got a bit of, I wouldn't even say Upset, more emotional, I'd say, and people can obviously hear that in my voice. And you know, I'm, I'm talking about because we had a different child's name on the on the vest every day, and t- 29 of the children had survived brain tumours, but two of them hadn't. You know, and there was like so every day we're going right today that we're running for Nick. Everyone, big cheer for Nick, and I'd say hello, Nick. I know you're watching. You stay strong, young. Man. You know, and then all of a sudden we got to like day, I think it's day 17, 18, and Debbie from the charity, so oh, you're running for. Guy, the the lad tomorrow you run for, he he died in two thousand. You know, I'm not going to give a big cheer for it. How do we approach this now? You know, and all of a sudden it's like, I wish I hadn't started. I wish I hadn't started cheering. I wish I, you know, I don't know Mm -hmm. what to do. But I think we handled both days really pretty well. One days, one of the days I just said, you know we're not going to stand here and cheer, but we're going to just give a round of applause for him and whichever one they did. And it, it was more like, you know, what you'd see at a football match mm-hmm. where people would just give a polite round of applause, you know, if they're, if they're mourning somebody or passing somebody. And then on Christmas Day was actually for Tom, Tom's trust, you know. And same again, I really didn't know what to do about that. And I just thought, well, this, yes, we all know about Tom, you know, and none of us would be here if it was, if it that fact is none of us would have been there had Tom still been alive because there would be no Tom's trust. But I also knew Tom's dad was running with me on Christmas Day. He came and ran the second half with me and it was, it was a real, it just wiped me out like emotionally. And I think physically and mentally, I went into December as prepared as I possibly could be, you know, and I felt absolutely 100% ready for it. But emotionally, I was nowhere near prepared. And I, I, I don't think you can be really. I think I don't know how you can prepare yourself emotionally, for things like that. You know, I'd, I'd be running along and I'd turn a corner and there'd be people there and they'd burst into tears. They'd see me and burst into tears. And I'm thinking, I know I look bad, but do I really look that bad? <laughs> but this is like, you know, this 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 is what still will start happening. It's just mm. like, what is going on here? There's something There's something way bigger than me running for four hours going on. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Was it the connection, the lack of connection last year with COVID? Mm because I'm running through a children's charity I don't know but it's just wherever it was it was it was it was absolutely crazy you know and it it sort of softened the blow for me really because you know as I said I realized pretty early on that this is about this is a there's way more people invested in this now than just me my personal four-hour thing Mm -hmm. so yeah it was a a crazy month
0: it's uh, I think it's I certainly think it's going to stand out in a lot of people's um, memory, whether they just saw it on Facebook or whether they were there physically, um, as one of the most positive things to come out of the last year, a hundred percent. And I think that you know, just from my point of view, just from watching it through the social aspect, like I could feel that just socially, like that's how powerful it was. You could feel it. You could feel that even on social media, like there was. There wasn't a single start video that I didn't watch and come away with like a smile and like that, you know, that's incredible what he's going and doing. Um, and I think that the amount of hundreds and thousands of people that were watching it, that's that, you know, it, it even had that effect socially, which is incredible. So um, you said the every time you touch on the, the pacing and the, and the four, I can see there's a little part of you that's not done with, with things like this. You mentioned your age. Now, I'm not going to say... Obviously the, the, you know, 50 is coming around the corner. Maybe there's, maybe there's something that you're already thinking of there, but I've got in my notes, I've got a big capital. What's next? Question mark, question mark, question mark. What is next?
1: So one day in my life, and I don't know when that will be, but hopefully in the next 10 years, I really want to row solo across the Atlantic. Something I've had in the back of my mind for a few years, um, and I, you know, I looked into it seriously about three or four years ago, and tried to get the funding, but I couldn't get the funding because you need corporate sponsorship, and it's not cheap. It sort of eighty, anywhere between eighty and hundred thousand pounds to do to to buy all the boat and the equipment and the support teams and everything else. So, you know, I'd like to do that one day. Um, I also, in terms of running, what I'm doing now is I'm currently training for a solo marathon, which is how you should train for a marathon. Just one build up, and you know, mm. have a day off the next day. But I'd also, I've also got in my mind, I'd like to run from John Groats to Lands End one day as well, which is I think like nearly 900 miles. The world record is 90 miles. You've got to cover 90 miles a day, which sounds way out of my league. But if you'd have told me when I ran my first marathon that I'd run 31 marathons, I'd have told you that was way out of my league. So who knows? I'd like to maybe just do it. I don't know. Maybe try and do. 50 miles a day and take a couple of weeks doing i don't know we'll see but as ever as i said to you earlier i don't often look for these things I'll, I'll maybe hear about something or i'll see something and i think it might be possible and maybe have a crack at it but whatever it'll be i'll be keeping fit and keeping active
0: yeah i think well i think that's safe to say whatever it will be it will be some form of physical physical feat and physical challenge um Land enter Johnnie Groat's. That that sounds exciting. I think I think coming from where we come from, you're gonna to have to go find some hills because yeah, <laughs> you're gonna to need to prep for Scotland in one way or another.
1: Yeah. And if, you know, if you think of the logistics of thirty one, the organisation that went into it, you know, you think of the logistics of how you do that because you'd have to stop every night wherever you got to. Mm. You know, and if you're set trying to go for a record, then your hotel is ninety miles away you've got to have your clothes there clean for the next day and you need someone with you on a bike. So like logistically it would be almost impossible, but people do it. So, you know, it's doable, but yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to do it. I just love to do it. And just to see, to say I've run the length of the country or two countries really. But mm. Yeah. The length of our island would be amazing. Wouldn't it?
0: That would be that, that sounds something to, for potentially the listeners to, to keep their eyes out for. So I want to kind of bring everything to an end um and we um before we kind of finish with one final question um what I'm going to do from you Ben is I'm going to get you to give me kind of all the links specifically the Tom's Trust one for the Just Giving page that's going to go on on all the show notes um so that wherever this podcast gets distributed the link will go straight away with that um and you know just if somebody has taken kind of you know one kind of golden nugget or just sat and smiled as they've listened to this and thought wow what an inspiration what a journey uh you know knowing that knowing that that times are hard if they've even got you know a spare pound to just pay that pound for the one thing that they've taken away from this podcast at least they'll have the link to do it uh and you know that that's obviously the 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 main event that is is still very much at the forefront of of your mind and your life at the moment um so in that, and in saying that, if you could finish this podcast with kind of one empowerment message, whether it's kind of a mantra that you live by day to day, something that you maybe repeat often for your clients, what would that be, and, and why would you pick that one?
1: So when we when i when I done 31, we had a friend of mine, Ollie, He's runs a production company called um, i trying to remember the name of it now Enjoy, enjoy the View mm-hmm. he's only a young lad but he's got a Dutch company he's, he said to me I'm going to make a film of this and put it together he said so I'll be out on the course he knew the route he said I'll just pop, I won't tell you when or where he goes, but I'll just be out You know, so he'd come out some days I'd see him some days I wouldn't some oh no there's Ollie again hello mate so he made this he put this film together and it's you know it's on the 31 Stars Facebook page it's on my Facebook it's a little four minute video and it just sort of captured everything really of what happened in december and he called it it only takes a decision because in one of the posts i put out you know i said it only takes a decision and you know you can relate i can relate that back to even entering my first marathon and when your hand is on the mouse and you click pay now and that feeling you get of like <gasps> so six months away but you're like oh my god i'm gonna run a marathon you know and so my, my advice to anybody would be is if you're thinking about doing something, whatever it may be, and it, and it slightly scares you and worries you, then it only takes a decision. Just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Train for it. Prepare for it. Yes, it's going to be hard, but that's why you're doing it. And, you know, go and do it and enjoy it and then do the next one.
0: Brilliant. It only takes a decision. What, no, what a don't. way to finish it. What a way to finish yeah. it. So uh, all that's really left for me to say, Ben, is a massive thank you for your time uh and your stories your wisdom and just your, your energy uh what what a great podcast what a great few weeks for you um and i think no matter what the world throws at you i think you you know uh, there'll be another great year ahead for your vivo team for yourself for your family so yeah massive thank you from me
1: thanks Beth, thanks for having me on